1 Thessalonians chapter 4. There you will find our sermon text if you would like to follow along in the scriptures or in the printout in your worship order. As I was working on this text this week, I was reminded of of a story that I learned long ago back in Oklahoma. Many of the members of that church used the old King James Version. And they loved to tell preacher jokes. And one of the jokes that they told me was about the time a preacher came and read from the King James from this passage of Scripture and did not pay attention to the punctuation in the sentence. And he read the passage in this way. I would not have ye ignorant brethren. I would not have ye ignorant brethren. And they loved to tell that joke. They loved it so much because they loved the King James. And they wanted to talk about the importance of paying attention to the punctuation in the text. Our ESV says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers. And then you can hear the difference there. If you are willing and able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy word from 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And that is the word of the Lord. May God add his blessings to the reading, the preaching, and the hearing of his word. And all the church says, you may be seated. I've only preached on this passage two or three times in the course of my ministry. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It's a passage that you often hear if you go to a funeral of a Christian and people are gathered to grieve the loss of their loved one. This passage will be referenced. For those of you who enjoy reading or making use of the book of Common Prayer, this is a passage Uh, that is used often in the funeral services uh, that are mentioned in the book of common prayer because it's so powerful and pointed and helps us understand what we're experiencing when a fellow Christian has passed from this life into the next. I was going back through my records and through my notes and it turns out that it was 10 years ago that I actually preached on this passage to this church, but way back in the day. As I made my way through it, through those notes, I realized 
how dry and, and how technical it was. It would have made a decent exegetical paper for seminary, but not a very good sermon. And so I hope to change and remedy that somewhat today. I know all of you remember that sermon from 10 years ago. You probably hold it dear to your heart, but I want to uh, take that away from you tonight. First Thessalonians 4, Paul is dealing with a very specific issue in the church. He's answering questions that have come up in the life of the church. Remember that Timothy has returned from Thessalonica down to Athens where Paul is. And he has brought Paul a report from the church. And he's letting Paul know not only how the church is doing. And they were doing quite well despite their many sufferings and persecutions. but Despite all the affliction they experienced. But Timothy comes and not only does he tell about their condition. But he says, look, they've got questions And they've got questions the kind that we might not have asked in our lives because we haven't been where they are exactly. You see, what's happening in Thessalonica is ever since the gospel of grace has come to their city and turned the world upside down. And ever since people have have started to embrace Christ by faith and carry the cross, they have been under immense pressure. This enormous weight of affliction has descended upon them and they're wrestling with all of that. But along the way, not only have they suffered persecution at the hands of enemies, enemies who were deeply religious, by the way, politically motivated in some ways, but they've suffered this affliction. And now they're beginning to see that it's moved from stage one to stage two, now stage three. And what I mean by that is it's getting harder and harder for them to follow Christ. They're feeling such pressure. And now what's happened among them is some of their brothers and sisters, some of these very new Christians. Keep in mind, they've only been Christians for less than a year, a year at the most. And some of these very new Christians have been persecuted unto death. It's possible that some were, you know, had fallen ill and then died as a result of the illness. It's possible that some were just elderly and then died of natural causes. But many have been persecuted unto death. And as death has entered into that community, questions come up and they want to know what happens when we die. What happens when we die? So Timothy is reporting to Paul what he had seen and heard, and he is expressing this concern of the church. It's not like Paul is writing the letter and all of a sudden says, oh, I should talk about life and death issues. He's talking about these life and death issues because these issues were on the heart and mind of the members of the church in Thessalonica. These are the kind of questions, by the way, that many of our brothers and sisters throughout the world are asking on this Lord's Day. Our brothers and sisters in China are asking, what happens when we die? Those in Nigeria are asking, what happens when we die? Around the world, hundreds and thousands of Christians have been persecuted this year. And it's reported that hundreds of Christians have been martyred in Nigeria alone. Hundreds of Christians were killed on Easter Sunday in Sri Lanka, an island just outside of India. This is the world in which we inhabit. This is the world we live in. And we're beginning to feel more and more pressure even in our country. But 
not the way some of our brothers and sisters do. Christians under pressure often ask, why, O Lord? How long, O Lord? But these Christians in Thessalonica are asking, what happens when we die? And why is that a concern for them? Well, to understand this question and this concern, you need to know a little bit about the Greco-Roman world. In the Greco-Roman world, people had a very specific view of what happened at death. The philosophers and the ordinary folks believed that death was the end, period. Most believed in extinction, although a few entertained the notion of reincarnation. And these are the kinds of things that people in Thessalonica would have grown up hearing in their public school system. These are the things they would have picked up at work or at sporting events or at the local coffee shop. These are the kinds of things they would have heard. It would have been in the atmosphere. They would have heard this coming from their philosophers and their poets and their priests. They would have heard when once our brief light sets, there is one perpetual night through which we must sleep. No one awakes and arises who has once been overtaken by the chilling end of of life. It was not uncommon to find this grim epitaph written or carved on the gravestones of Greco-Roman people. You would find this on gravestones. I was not. I became. I am not. I care not. And some scholars report that this inscription has been found on a tomb of someone in Thessalonica. And it reads, after death, there is no revival. After the grave, no meeting of those who have loved each other on earth. This is the world in which the gospel came and began to revolutionize the hearts and minds of people. A world that ended in despair and darkness. And into that world comes the gospel of Jesus Christ and sparks hope and life. But now you have people who are dying for the faith and they wonder what happens when we die? What happens when we die? Just this past week. Some of you might have seen this video that's circulating. It's a conversation, an interview between Stephen Colbert and Keanu Reeves. And they're discussing Keanu Reeves' new movie. But in the midst of discussing that movie and then a a part two or maybe a part three of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, when they talk about death, life and death issues in this conversation, Colbert asked Keanu Reeves, Keanu Reeves, what do you think happens when we die? And Keanu Reeves takes a deep breath and he becomes very thoughtful. And he says, I know that when we die, those who love us will miss us. Stephen Colbert is left speechless. The audience lets out a a sympathetic moan. And then they burst into applause. And then they cut away to another thing. And it made me wonder... While that was a very thoughtful answer, I couldn't help but shake the notion that Keanu Reeves had had done a Neo move, dodging that question like Neo dodging bullets in the Matrix. 
The question wasn't what happens in general when we die? What happens to people who are left behind? Colbert wanted to know, what do you believe happens to us when we die? Difficult question to answer for many people in our day and age. And this is the question that many people in Thessalonica were asking. What happens when we die? Do we miss out on anything? Do we miss out on the coming of the Lord? You've told us he's coming, but if we're dead when he comes, then what? If we're dead, do we receive less blessings than those who are alive? If they're alive when he comes, what happens when we die? And the Apostle Paul begins to answer that for the Christians, answer that for the church at Thessalonica. And notice notice what he does in this uh, portion of the letter. In order to answer their question, in order to keep them from being ignorant or uninformed or unaware about what happens to those who fall asleep, those who die in the Lord, in order to keep them from grieving the way unbelievers would grieve because they don't have hope beyond the grave. Notice what Paul does. He points them to Jesus Christ. He points them back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We say it all the time around here in a variety of ways, but the answer to most of our questions has something to do with Jesus, has something to do with the gospel, has something to do with the crucifixion and resurrection of the Lord. And this is where Paul leads this church. People are asking, what happens when we die? Is that the end, the way the philosophers and priests have told us? Is that true, what the, what the poets have said? And then Paul says, no. Think about this. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. Even so, we believe that through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So Paul takes this church back to the fundamental confession of the faith and centers them on the person and work of Jesus Christ. Your Christian hope is rooted and grounded in Jesus. He is your hope. So like our brothers and sisters who suffer and die for the faith, so Jesus suffered and died. And at first his death looked like the end of all things. But on the third day, Jesus proved that death was not the end when he rose again from the dead. This is a message that is so easy for us to take for granted. It's so easy for us to think this is kindergarten level theology and we want to move beyond the primary colors of the Christian faith to something more high octane, something more abstract and ethereal. And yet Paul doesn't go there with people asking heartfelt questions that have really kept them up at night and shaken their hearts. He says, look, I got to bring you back to Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. The point he's making here is that all those who die in the Lord shall also live in the Lord. Those who sleep in Christ will also awake in Christ. We might ask, well, how in the world is that going to happen? And notice how Paul walks us through and gives us the liturgy of 
how all this happens. And by liturgy, I just mean the order of things that God has set forth. And there's no secret here. He lays it out for us the way it's going to be. God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. And then he explains, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. The phrase fallen asleep that we keep hearing is a metaphor for death, a metaphor for death. In fact, we get the word, we get our word for cemetery from the Greek word that means fall asleep. Cemeteries are places of rest, places of sleep. It wasn't long ago, Shannon and I took a walk around City Lake Park here in Mesquite, and then we found our way roaming around the cemetery next to the lake. And we were surprised to see that as long as Mesquite has been around, people have been dying. The mortality rate in this city is 100%. And we saw the little notes and things scratched into the stone of people trying to comfort themselves as long as this town has been here. And many of those were trying to point people to the promises of the Lord Jesus. Paul says some beautiful things here that I need to hear and that I want you to hear as well. We sleep in the Lord. We rise in the Lord. And what Paul wants us to see here is instead of using death, the word death, which sounds so final to us, he uses the word sleep, which is a temporary condition. It's a temporary condition. He wants us to know it won't last forever. It lasts but a little while. And then we're awakened again. Awake is a metaphor for life. It refers to the temporary, temporary state Of the body-soul unity. Life in Christ before death. And then life in Christ after death. Where we're fully awake. Now pay close attention to what Paul does here. You'll have to look at the text as we walk through this. But this is what we might call the resurrection program. the, The resurrection liturgy. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. The Apostle Paul is describing for us here the ritual, the liturgy in which the final resurrection of the saints will take place. And this resurrection liturgy is not something that Paul imagined or made up. He says it came to him by a word from the Lord. So the Lord reveals to him this secret of how he is going to unveil himself when he returns again. And we see the Lord Jesus will descend from heaven. That gives the impression that heaven is up there and then we're down here. But this is about kinds of dimensions. This is God condescending to us to talk about how he moves from on high to things that are down low. Christ will bring with him from on high the saints who have fallen asleep in him. And then when Christ, who is our life, appears, he brings with him new life, eternal life to his people. So the Lord will make this descent and he will make this descent riding on the clouds. All of this is the imagery and the language that we get from the prophets and the Psalms where the Lord comes riding on the clouds. 
riding on the clouds towards his people. And this coming, this parousia is announced with three distinct signals, three signals because a fact needs to be established here. And so there's no mistake about the fact that this is the coming of the Lord. And there are three things, the cry of command, the voice of the archangel and the sound of God's trumpet. Now, a lot of mystery in that. And we might wonder about the specific details of it all. We don't know exactly what it'll sound like or exactly what it'll look like. But rest assured that when the sound and sight comes, you will know this is the coming of the Lord. The word for command describes the cry that is made by a ship's master to its rowers. It describes the cry made by a military officer to his soldiers or by a hunter to his hounds or by a charioteer to his horses. It's a loud cry directed to something. It's intended to get the attention and to elicit a response and action. When it was used by military personnel, it was a battle cry. So keep that in mind, a battle cry. And then you have this language of the sound of God's trumpet, sound of God's trumpet. I remember a long time ago when I was in a Bible institute, one of uh, one of my teachers said, said to us, hey, when you guys get some time in your spare time, make sure you study clouds and trumpets in the Bible. And I remember we all rolled our eyes and thought clouds and trumpets. No, there are more important things to study in the Bible. And over the last few years, I've realized he was right. Trumpets are important. And here we, we see something about trumpets and we might wonder, why does he mention the sound of God's trumpet? Well, if you were to go back through the Old Testament, you would see how trumpets were used in the Old Testament to call people to wake up, to worship God, to wage war and to welcome the king. And Paul takes all of that image and he pulls it together for the church in Thessalonica to say at the sound of God's trumpet, this is what we are going to do in that day. Now, in the back of the minds of the hearers, they might be saying, wait a minute. Yeah, if we're alive when that happens. But what about those who are dead when that happens? How can the dead respond in any way? And Paul says, I'm so glad you asked. Let me answer that question. The dead in Christ will rise first. So when all of this sight and sound burst onto the scene and breaks into the world at the coming and the return of Jesus, the dead in Christ will rise first. What does that mean? It means the sleeping bodies of departed saints will be awakened by this triad of sounds. The cry of command, the angelic voice, the trumpet blast. And if you think more deeply about it, it means not just that their sleeping bodies will raise, but their bodies which have decayed and returned to dust will be reconstituted, put back together and their bodies will respond to these signals and rise up from the grave. Their bodies will rise up from the grave. Resurrected bodies will be reconstituted into spiritual bodies. And these new spiritual bodies will then ascend, go up and be reunited with what? Their spirits that are coming with Christ. And thus you'll have the union of spirit and body once again. 
in Christ. Christian in Thessalonica who wondered what happens when we die. Paul is saying, let me answer that question for you. Death is not the end. Your body will rise to be with your spirit again. And you will be with the Lord. But that's not all. What happens if we're alive when all this happens? Well, the saints who are alive at the Lord's appearing will be transformed. Since flesh and blood cannot enter the kingdom of heaven, the wide awake and the alive saints will be transformed. Like Enoch, who walked with God and was no more because the Lord took him. And like Elijah, who was taken away in a chariot of fire, the saints who are alive at the coming of the Lord will not experience death. Rather, they will experience a radical metamorphosis. They will be transformed in the flash, in the twinkling of an eye, from earthly dust into heavenly glory. And so like those who were asleep, those who were dead, They also will be changed and they will rise to meet the Lord in the air. All the resurrected and all the transformed saints will be caught up together, brought up together to meet the Lord in the air. There's a really long Greek word to describe being caught up together. And that word is not rapture. That's not the word. But it is the idea of being snatched up suddenly and forcefully by the irresistible power of God. Why and for what purpose? So that we can be reunited with Christ. So that we can be reunited with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So that there will be a great family reunion for all those who have gone before. And Paul says the saints will meet the Lord in the air. The expression translated meet the Lord in the air is a technical term, but it was often used in this way to go out and meet someone. It was the idea that people living in a city would know that their victorious king was coming from afar and they would prepare themselves and get ready for this great celebration. And they would go out of the city, go out to meet the king. And they would meet him on the road, on his way in. And once they were reunited and had a burst of celebration, then they would come back in this triumphal procession, come back into the city again. Paul is alluding to that kind of thing. Why are we caught up to meet the Lord in the air? Because we're going up to meet the victorious king. To worship and celebrate The one who has come to rescue his people. And so all of the imagery that Paul has alluded to before comes together. When the last trumpet sounds, we will wake up and welcome the Lord Jesus Christ. And we will worship the one who waged war against our sin and death and won the victory for the people of God. And look at this next line. And so we will be with the Lord forever. And so we will be with the Lord forever. So often in the Christian community, people talk about just want to go to heaven. 
I want to get away from this place. I'm going to go to a different place. And heaven becomes this sort of this paradise, this vacation spot for them. They're interested in the place. I just want to go somewhere else than where I am right now. This is not the language of Christ and the apostles. The Christian life is not about going to heaven. It's not about escaping the earth. It's not about getting rid of your body. It's about your body being raised up and united with your spirit and transformed. Eternal life is not about you getting away from all of this stuff here. But notice what Paul says. It is about being with the Lord. And so we will be with the Lord. And where will we be with the Lord? Well, Paul doesn't get into it here, but if we take what the New Testament says about these things, we know that we will be with the Lord in the new heavens and new earth. And it's not just about the new heavens and new earth. It's about the fact that we will be with the Lord. And that's the thing that should move us and excite us and drive us in worship that we will be with Jesus. Wherever he happens to be. And so we will be with the Lord always. At the end of the Great Commission, Jesus said to his missional church, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And Paul echoes that, flips it around. We will be with Jesus always. There is no end of this age. And thus we will be with the Lord in a glorified state as a resurrected and transformed people along with our body and soul together in the Lord. And notice what Paul says, and this is how he wraps this up. Remember, he's writing to a people who are grieving, a people who are confused and and conflicted, a people who are sorrowful. And this is good news for them. This is a balm for their soul. He knows that death strikes everyone, that no one gets out alive. He also knows that not everyone responds to death in exactly the same kind of way. He knows that we all have to grieve in the shadow of death, but not everyone grieves in the same way. And what does he say to us? He discourages us from becoming self-centered in this World or in this life, he encourages us to think of the other. Encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. And the word for encourage means comfort them, comfort one another, counsel one another, console one another with these words. Which words? Maybe all of what he just said, but especially the ones he just said. We will be with the Lord always. Encourage one another with these words. So the idea is to call doubting and hurting and grieving persons to your side. And to suffer with them and share their burdens and to carry their load. And the idea of doing this in a one another way means it's reciprocal. That we're doing this for each other. We need to remind each other of the ultimate end for which God has called us to bear the cross. 
Encourage one another with these words.